good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever this finds you in the world. Uh, welcome to this first panel session of our event, uh, where we'll be exploring containerization's role in global vaccine logistics, focusing in this session on expectations, challenges, opportunities and priorities. My name is Rachel White. I'm Managing Director of Cool Logistics, uh, the joint organiser of this event. I'm joined here today by Nick Savides, Managing Editor of uh, Container News, who will be moderating some of the upcoming sessions. So um, welcome again. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Um, let me tell you a little bit about how this morning, this first panel session is going to go. It's a live panel session, uh, no presentations. And I'm going to ask all of our speakers to uh, give about five um, minutes of um, opening words, and then we're going straight into a panel debate. We have lots of talking points already lined up from our pre-briefings, um, but you, the audience, this is an event for you, so please do get your questions and comments in on the chat uh, pane, and we will field them and pose them to the speakers. So who's in the room this morning? I'm really delighted um, we've managed to get, and thank you to all of our speakers, a cross-section of stakeholders uh, involved in containerization for global vaccine logistics. So um, introducing in order of their comments uh, coming up shortly, Siddharth Adya, he's Vice President Group Cargo Solutions and Platform Development for PSA International, the global port and terminal operator. Michael Colm Seymour, who's consultant at the World Economic Forum and uh, since recently, also uh, VP and MD Asia Pacific for Rombi, a visibility solution provider. Christo Petkov, Global Vertical Head of Pharmaceuticals and Healthcare at AP Muller-Mersk. And Sebastian Steinmuller, who's Director Global Reefer Competency Centre at DHL Global Forwarding. So without further ado, making the most of our time, if you want to view all of their bios, please head on over to the attendee list and the speaker list. We'll be able to see them in more detail and make contact and chat. So let's get uh, let's get this opening discussion started. I'd like to ask uh, Siddharth first to um, give us some uh, comments from your side in terms of PSA's engagement in uh, COVID vaccine logistics and some of the key issues that are on your mind as a port and terminal operator. Oh, well, thanks, uh, Rachel, for having me on and uh, to my fellow panelists as well. Good to be on the panel with you. Um, I think perhaps just to get started, I think given the sheer scale of uh, the exercise of getting a majority of the world vaccinated and I guess the time handling and infrastructure and cost considerations of uh, doing same, particularly in the developing world and given the immense demands these vaccines will possibly place on finite uh, temperature controlled air freight capacity and infrastructure, uh, our view is that uh, ocean shipping is likely to play a prominent role in the distribution of uh, at least the less temperature sensitive uh, COVID-19 shots, along with the uh, associated inventory of consumables, such as syringes, etc., that, that's going to go along. And uh, to that extent, uh, we believe containers can and obviously will play a critical role in the medium term as they offer a piece of uh, standard transportation, you know, being a standard transportation medium that is portable, can be transported to inland locations, especially across Africa, Asia, where some of the right infrastructure may not exist. Uh, they allow for easy handoffs uh, without disruption to the integrity of the vaccine potentially. 
And importantly, they can also allow for track and trace capability along with the ability to maintain the integrity of uh, consignment by facilitating the tracking and uh, monitoring of the chain of custody as the vaccine or the container moves through different modes and handoff points. Now, a uh, critical element uh, that we believe uh, that's needed to facilitate a seamless container or box flow, uh, other than the issues uh, surrounding physical container inventories and shipping capacity, which I'm sure we'll talk of, is uh, data management and regulatory standards that govern the flow of and uh, use of data. And, and to that extent, a key element uh, that we foresee is really transparency or that we foresee needed is really transparency across the supply chain and sharing of uh, critical, critical logistics and product information as early as possible. So events can be planned in advance and also the infrastructure availability, be it from a trade compliance or a physical distribution or technology standpoint can be set up to receive information and act on it in real time to facilitate the vaccine flow. And, and that's really where uh, you know key international transshipment points such as PSA in Singapore, for example, uh, can and do play a critical or an important role as uh, potential interim nodal hubs to store vaccines and also to channel them across uh, various international lanes expeditiously while ensuring the handling integ integrity, be it uh, temperature related or otherwise of, uh, you know, for the vaccines. So for instance, if data can be shared uh, pre-arrival, the terminal as a key international gateway can then plan ahead to ensure adequate resources so as to allow for a minimal time lag uh, from vessel birth to the point the box is discharged and outgated. And further with uh, access to early information, handoffs across different nodes or modes can be uh, pre-planned and easily facilitated to move vaccines or critical cargo to final destinations, uh, whether that's overland or via an alternate mode. And that's something that we as a terminal do today for uh, other time sensitive or temperature sensitive commodities. And something I do believe we can easily or rather certainly would endeavor to apply to a vaccine uh, uh, supply chain or potential supply chain as well. Um, and at PSA, in fact, we spend a lot of time and effort developing, uh, you know, infrastructure that, uh, you know, so we're able to essentially offer a smart user experience. So a box or a container, for instance, effectively, uh, given the technology available to monitor temperature, to uh, monitor uh, other handling events as the box passes through various uh, nodes. The box effectively then becomes more than just a piece of equipment, but rather an interactive sort of unit providing relevant data points as it sort of passes through a broader ecosystem that's meant to facilitate a seamless flow. And by building that infrastructure at the terminal or across our terminals, we're able to then harness that data and use it effectively to essentially plan a, a, you know, a potential first mile or rather a last mile flow for uh, such critical cargo as it sort of makes its way to uh, locations where it is uh, much needed. So thereby potentially providing timely and steady fulfillment for say vaccines and PPE, uh, PPE uh, again, potentially across the region while minimizing the need for handling, uh, you know, at destinations that may not necessarily have the adequate infrastructure availability. So that's where we do see ourselves playing a critical role uh, moving forward by providing the right infrastructure and also the support 
you know, to act as a potential gateway as these boxes come in to channel them to locations where they really need to be in a time sensitive manner. Well, thank you very much, Siddharth. A lot of issues there to unpack and hopefully we'll get into them in the debate. And some of our sessions coming up are also going to go into more depth on some of the issues you mentioned around data management and regulatory compliance in particular. But I'd like to turn over now to uh, Michael to ask him to give some thoughts from your world, uh, your work with World Economic Forum on uh, the key challenges and the priorities. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. And thanks for inviting me. It is um, an honor to be here. Um, I'm not often invited to, to see maritime related conferences. My 35 years experience has very much been in the air cargo industry, but hopefully um, I can contribute. Um, I think there's there's two parts of my introduction. One is, is, is currently with the World Economic Forum. So basically what we're trying to do is to make sure that the borders are maintained, they retain open, um, the trade flees, uh, flows freely, there's no delays. And what we've seen in the initial rollout of, of the vaccine distribution is, is this sort of rock star approach when, when the vaccine lands in a country, of course, there's never delays. The, the president of the country is on the tarmac and it, it, it works very well and everyone's done a fantastic job there. Logistics companies are playing their part, customs, regulatory affairs. What we're concerned about is the party's going to end soon and this will become a normality. Um, right now, COVAX, um, together with UNICEF, are rolling out millions of doses of vaccines. They're doing a fantastic job. But still, in some countries, we're only just achieving a 0.5 or 2 or 3% of the population. Um, so in this part of the world, in Asia, you know, sea freight, I think, is a real op uh, opportunity and possibility. If we think that 65% of the world's vaccines are produced in India, um, the transit time from India to Singapore is 10 days. Um, so everything that Siddharth was just talking about is absolutely possible. We can use sea freight. Um, the technology's there, the equipment's there. I think um, the ports, I, I mean, Singapore is, is certainly very well organized, but I think we need to look at other ports around the world. There, there has to be an integrated system. Um, and so therefore we can bring the cost down um, but maintain that, that quality standard. I think in terms of my role at Romby, I mean, the technology is certainly there. We, we have the ability to make sure that uh, vaccines or any medical devices or pharmaceuticals at sea um, or in the air can be maintained. Um, they're visible, they're live, uh, live tracking. And so again, the technology is there and this is absolutely paramount. So um, I think it's a paradigm shift. I think generally, the, the logistics industries have, um, have enjoyed both air cargo and, and, and sea freight. Um, I think it's also up to them to try to persuade the pharmaceutical companies to shift over. Uh, I know that um, you know, there's, there's, there's a question about profits and monetization of this, but um, you know, we still have 80, 80 plus percent of the world's trade is going by, by sea. And, and this kind of, um, these, these kind of logistics such as medical devices and the ancillaries that you're talking about can certainly uh, be included in that. So very much looking forward to the debate. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. And, and a couple of points there ahead of uh, asking our next uh, panel members, um, doing a bit of research before this, I was reading something from McKinsey, which uh, suggested that the, in terms of the low to mid middle income countries, first wave of vaccines for 92 of those nations represents two to three times UNICEF's annual vaccine program to so the scale of the, the challenge and, uh, and the rollout. 
um, in terms of the, the paradigm shift. And the yep. other, of course, is the pharma industry's um, willingness to embrace containerization, which is a process that's been going on for some time now. And uh, uh, hopefully that leads neatly into inviting uh, Christo next to give some views from AP Muller-Murs on the issue. Thank you, Rachel. And uh, thanks for a great opening by Sid and Michael. Uh, trying to um, reflect on what they said is, um, first of all, if we look at the global pandemic uh, and what is happening uh, around us, even, even though we have had the first vaccine developed in, in amazing, amazingly fast time, uh, December last year, we're still nowhere near to where we need to get uh, to vaccinate the whole world. Uh, already four months of vaccinations, and we have some great numbers around the world. But in a lot of countries, uh, cases are increasing. Uh, the lockdown is uh, is around us. We can uh, we can live our lives in, in a normal manner. And even though there were a lot of Polaroid shots of uh, first vaccines arriving in different places globally, if we take a global uh, look, I mean we're we're quite uh, far from vaccinating the rest of the world. And looking into um, some of the issues that we're having right now, some of the vaccines are being recalled. Some countries are uh, saying no to certain vaccines. This is certainly not enabling the situation. What we have seen uh, with the first wave of uh, distributing the vaccines is that a lot of the vaccines has gone, uh, have gone by overland transport uh, based on the locations they're produced. East coast of North America, Europe, India, there, there have been some short haul flights uh, some long-haul flights uh, to distribute vaccines to, to needing countries and very good job done by uh, the COVAX facility, uh, who is uh, quite far from where they want to get. Uh, and, but what we also know is that there is need for ocean freight to distribute vaccines. Why is that? If we take a look at uh, today's logistics, like Michael said, 80% of total global volume is moved by ocean uh, freight. If we take a look at pharmaceuticals, 70 to 80% of volumes of pharmaceutical products are already moved by ocean. There's a lot of talks about air to sea conversion and looking at our performance and hopefully Sebastian can confirm this. There's a lot of pharmaceuticals already moving in ocean freight. Uh, we have the capabilities. If you look at the products we already moving, uh, different vaccines, uh, insulin and different bioproducts who need strict temperature control from two to eight degrees Celsius. Uh, there's capabilities, there's know-how, uh, there is ways to move uh, pharmaceuticals by ocean. So, so this is already happening. When we look at the, co uh, the COVID-19 vaccine, would it move by ocean? Eventually it will. Uh, do we know exactly when? I think this is a little bit harder to estimate. Uh, based on the, a lot of the challenges that are happening right now, but we know they will. Uh, ocean freight is already moving, um, moving a lot of products uh, related to the, to the fight against the, uh, the pandemic. We're moving a lot of uh, different PPE equipment, uh, raw ingredients that go uh, in the production of, of uh, vaccines and enables the supply chains or the manufacturing capacity to, uh, to carry on. And there's also a lot of solutions in the maritime industry of uh, uh, digitalization, uh, integrated supply chains, um, and also a more uh, sustainable manner of distributing uh, pharmaceutical products that will help us get through the uh, 
pandemic. To reflect <clears throat> a little bit on, um, on these three topics, uh, digitization, uh, our ocean containers or the reefer container, temperature control container, they're enabled with live visibility. Uh, you, can, you can see what is happening in the container. You can control the operations even at deep sea. So it's very important to collaborate with different temperature control uh, logger suppliers in order to uh, provide full visibility. Ocean freight uh, controls uh, the operations. We as an asset owner at MERSC, we control the operations. We can ensure operational excellence. We can assure that containers are attended and cooperate with the different parties to, to ensure end-to-end -end delivery in an, uh, and limit all deviations. And also, uh, if we take a look at um, sustainability and decarbonizing logistics, ocean freight is uh, a little bit further ahead uh, than air freight. So just a quick uh, reflection and then we can take uh, the discussion further. Well, um, thank you very much, Risto. And again, uh, comment issues for today, but also for the upcoming sessions that we have, uh, particularly as you mentioned, air sea conversion and visibility, which has been um, talked about and desired by shippers for many years. And that process has only accelerated during the pandemic, not just for the vaccine distribution, but generally to keep supply chains flowing and, and mitigate supply chain uh, breakdowns. Um, so finally, last but not least, um, turning to uh, Sebastian to, to give us some views for, from DHL. Yeah, thank you, Rachel, and uh, thanks once more for inviting me. Um, very pleasure to, to be here this morning. Um, a lot has been said already by my fellow uh, panelist uh, colleagues, um, but just to reconfirm also on what Michael has said and, and also Christo, uh, indeed, a lot is moving already today um, in regards to healthcare, in regards to pharmaceuticals, temperature controlled by ocean. Um, so so um, the industry has proven uh, that they can do it, um, that, that is for sure. Um, there has been a trend indeed, air to ocean, a very uh, famous um, topic and, and also a very famous saying. Um, it's there, it's not a trend anymore, it's, it's definitely already, already there and therefore there is experience available on the one side. On the other side, you also have to keep in mind that um, besides maybe a company like Maersk, who is uh, uh, the industry leader in, in healthcare um, um, offerings, um, there is still a lot of work to do, so there is still a challenge ahead. Not every shipping line is as um, uh, professional in handling healthcare. As, as others are, um, not every trucking company might be ready to, to handle uh, reefer containers in a compliant way. They, they might not be ready to, to have trained personnel and not every terminal provider might be, might be ready from a compliance and quality point of view. So uh, still there is a challenge, uh, but there is also a great opportunity in my point of view. Um, as the colleague said, um, um, do we see vaccines going by ocean um, today? No, we don't. Um, I mean, the vaccines ratios are, are rather low, um, um, except in a, in a few countries. So speed at the moment is, is the key, um, not, not costs or anything else. So, so that's why we see, as Risto said, road transportation and air freight transportation predominantly. But there are huge volumes of uh, face shields and, and masks and all, all of these supporting um, uh, products going by ocean already. And um, yeah, maybe for certain niche trades, intra-Europe, uh, intra-Asia, intra-Americas, we will definitely see uh, COVID vaccines being shipped by ocean. As I said, I mean, the, the infrastructure is there. Um, 
with certain uh, providers. Um, when this will be, yeah, I think the vaccination re ratios have to reach a certain level before this will be. Yeah. So um, yeah, just to conclude in my introduction, I, I believe um, the infrastructure is, is one key element and the collaboration of all stakeholders is definitely uh, key to, to success. So it's, it's not us as a forwarder who, who, who can do it alone. Uh, it's not, not the shipping line who can do it alone. And the pharmaceutical company cannot can also not do it alone. So, so it's definitely everybody has to play its role uh, to 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 make it happen. And uh, very much looking forward to the to the discussion. Well, um, thank you very much, everyone. Um, as I mentioned, we've uh, got some talking points here, but I'm seeing there's some questions coming in from our audience. And um, as that's the priority, I want to jump in with. Um, with the first one of those, uh, which relates to the issues we've just been uh, just been uh, talking about. Uh, so, first question in, and it's a uh, it's one that's bound to be asked, you know, which is around uh, you know the current bottlenecks on the U.S. West Coast uh, and elsewhere, you know, in the shipping network globally, and including the recent events in the in the Suez Canal um, and potential um, uncertainty uh, that's cast uh, with the global coverage. Uh, how are pharmaceutical companies going to be convinced that they can switch from air freight to sea freight um, and get a reliable um, reliable service? I don't know uh, who'd like to take that, maybe Fristo? I have the feeling this is coming. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so there, there, is a, there is a lot of challenges in ocean transportation right now. And uh, at Maersk, at least as a company, we're trying to see how we get through them. Uh, in a strong way. And if we take a look at um, a global on-time delivery and performance, right now it's not great. Uh, and it's nothing that we're proud of as a company, even though we are better than the rest of the pack, but we have already put plans ahead for the next two, three years, how, how we're gonna move away from this and how we're gonna be able to, um, to meet uh, future challenges. In terms of um, the, um, the need for capacity, and the contingencies and the need for containers. Of course, there is a humanitarian angle that we need to be aware of, and we need to prioritize the global distribution of vaccines because this would also enable uh, global trade and global consumption, they open up economies, and this is the only way we can get through. So we can, um, the key word here for us would be partnerships. We are looking for um, partnerships uh, with customers, with producers, where we know what is needed, how we can deliver and enable them. Because if you look at the market and if you want to be transactional and just find space tomorrow, we don't know who is asking for it. We don't know what's happening behind uh, the scenes. We are not aware. Of course, there's a lot of challenges, but we need to get through them. We need to remember this is a humanitarian discussion and need, uh, and we can find solutions. There is always solutions. Thank you very much, Risto. And that speaks to like, joint you know demand for demand forecasting and more dynamic demand forecasting which requires a um, number of the parties all to be together to share data as you say for something that's product centric they always say it's it's not a you know it's not a vaccine it's a patient um, but sebastian to this question on you know global um, difficulties being experienced in terms of shipping and port congestion uh, how's dhl viewing this 
Um, yeah, thank you. I mean, in general, that's uh, that's something which the industry has seen in the past as well. I mean, that's not the first time we um, encounter like like delays, congestion, um, whatsoever. Um, so so we can handle it. Um, to the question of um, how to how to per, um, to convince pharma companies to switch from air to ocean. I mean, first of all, they don't switch overnight, or they will not switch within within a week or or, or a month. I mean, that's a longer process. Right. Um, there, there needs to be um, quality um, things in place. Um, so, so that's that's an ongoing process and takes takes much longer than um, than a week or a month. Um, so that's um, that's the first um, I would like to refer to. Uh, can you still hear me? Yes. Because my my screen is frozen. Okay. Um, so that's that's first thing. Um, the other thing i think um, customers need to remain flexible in their in their mode of transport uh, that's definitely what the pandemic has shown um right so so um don't don't put yourself in in, in 100 one one mode of transport so you have to remain flexible um and that's what what um, yeah forwarders can can offer right i mean uh if air freight uh, has certain issues like now be having a lot of aircraft on the ground um, and limited capacity um, we, we can help out with other with other mode of transports and other transport solutions. Um, so yes, it's a challenge. Is it? Will it be like this uh, in the next uh, with the next coming years? No, it won't. Um, yeah, locally here and there there might come additional challenges going forward, but we will overcome that. I'm um, I'm 100 convinced as we did in the past. Um, so yeah, uh, overall. Um, I think it's it's an ongoing process. As Risto said, collaboration is definitely key, and um, forecast is definitely one of the keywords the industry have not been very good in in the past. So definitely room for improvement, and that would help the situation, obviously. And that goes both on the demand and the supply side, of course, in terms of the relationship. And it's something, and I'm going to ask Siddharth to come in and give some views. It's something you mentioned in terms of the uh, you know the forecasting and the planning in your in your opening remarks. Um, so what's your view on the on this from the point of view of the port and terminal uh, infrastructure and services provider? Well, thank, thank you for bringing me on this because I actually I wanted to say I, I agree with Sebastian. I, I think this is not something that's you know something that's switched that happens overnight. And I, I think the whole vaccination program and COVID given the entire you know scale of vaccinating a big chunk of the planet is also not something that's going to play out in the next six months. We're probably going to see this uh, over through the course of the next couple of months and perhaps the next couple of years. And to that extent, I, I think the switch from air to ocean will just be a natural progression because uh, the equipment availability, the infrastructure availability on the air side is simply not going to be able to keep up. And especially as you also look at some of the geographies, uh, as we expand from beyond the uh, developed world into developing countries and uh, perhaps the less developed countries. Um, again, as we go through this, I think mindsets are going to have to change. Um, and, and I did uh, talk about, as the others also did talk about uh, handling of data and you know technology and how improvements have been made. So I think as that progresses, we're also going to have to look at how data currently is being shared and also the regulations around uh, data sharing and the usage of data. And to that extent, perhaps, uh, as uh, uh, some of the other panelists mentioned, prioritizing uh, flows that are related to vaccines or, you know, COVID-related flows or associated flows. 
uh, and sharing that data in advance across that uh, supply chain. So the various parties that you know receive or the various handoff points nodes along the supply chain can be pre-prepared. So when a shipment comes in, it's automatically expedited and you know is flows through to the next uh, point in the chain without any disruption. And that again goes from an infrastructure standpoint, the ability to handle that technology or to be able to get those data points as that container is flowing through and also the ability to then pass it on to the next uh, phase in the supply chain uh, without or rather as seamlessly as possible. Uh, we certainly see the technology in place. I think there are multiple applications out there today that uh, that allow you know ease of handling at least within the container. So the container is not just a box anymore. It's actually an interactive unit and as it goes by it passes data which can and should be used uh, in a seamless manner. But then again, I guess there are regulations that govern that usage, which perhaps will need to be looked at and multiple parties do need to come together for this, both within the private and the public space. Thank you very much, Siddharth. I guess that's the issue that this is, you know, about far from a commoditized uh, approach as you can get. And the first conference I ever ran was back in 1999, I think, uh, in Dubai. And uh, that was titled, What's in the Box? And at that point, it was a fairly much a black hole, but clearly that's not going to uh, provide a solution. Uh, yeah, and to your point, I mean, this is about treating that box as a patient. Uh, for us, the box is the patient, so. So Michael, would you like to come in on, well, both sides, the visibility piece, um, but, but from World Economic Forum point of view in terms of, you know, supply chain resilience and, uh, and, and having the pharmaceutical industry embrace uh, embrace this transport option as part of the, the modal mix. Yeah. I think one of the participants <clears throat> um, wrote a very good comment, um, Frank Rubers, who said, as long as there's money to pay for, for air freight, the, the, the vaccines will, will go by air. And of course, it's priority now. But again, you know, um, we don't have endless supplies of money. Governments have to have to really be careful on this. And, and the the target price for a vaccine is, is single dollars. So anything from three to $5. Um, when you start adding in transportation, transportation costs can be up to 30 or 40% of, of that vaccine cost. And therefore we have to find ways, we have to find ways. And there's lots of valid comments. I think, um, you know, the quicker that we can start testing single lanes. So as, the, as the, I announced it earlier on, you know, India, massive producer of vaccines, to places like um, Southeast Asia and prove that this can actually seamlessly happen, the equipment's there, the technology's there, the handling's there, then I think people will start to gain confidence. Of course, what we see in the public eye is the Suez Canal, is the, the delays in Los Angeles where you have to wait eight weeks to get your container offloaded. Of course, there's absolutely a lack of confidence. Um, I think from the visibility side of port, um, Sid is absolutely right, there has to be um, you know, down to almost vial level, um, vaccine level, that you know exactly where it is, you know the temperature, you can see the history, um, that we can actually see uh, something before it happens. So if, if the reefer container is failing, um, then we can do something about it. You know, the technology today enables you to potentially take a reefer container um, directly from the, the pharmaceutical factory onto the ship off the, off the ship and to the vaccination site at the hospital or wherever it is, um, completely seamlessly without even opening the doors. No different to how you use envirotainers in, in the air cargo industry. Um, there's nothing to stop us doing this. But again, the quicker we can accelerate this, the quicker we can start having test lanes. And as 
Um, as our colleagues from, from Maersk and DHL said, we're doing this already. There are already vaccines at sea. This is nothing new for, for many companies. Thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, I mean, my understanding initially with pharma companies wanting to convert from um, air to sea was precisely because uh, not just a cost driven thing, but also because um, there are fewer handoffs and there's more sort of uh, inbuilt um, cold chain integrity um, through the use of the, the container as a robustly temperature controlled uh, device, which um, leads me on to a couple of other questions um, coming up. And I'm just reading a few of them because there's a few all along the same area. So uh, this is around two sides. Um, one, uh, Nick, thank you for the question. You know, it is the lack of containers, particularly very low temperature boxes, a barrier to ocean freight handling of pharma goods in general and uh, obviously vaccines in, uh, in particular. Uh, and another question in related from Brian Fitzgerald, who asked Fristo if uh, he believes special reefer containers will be needed to carry the vaccine, uh, lower temperature, um, or will you know, standard reefer units uh, work? So maybe Fristo, if you could talk a little bit about, um, yeah, Maersk views on the types of reefer containers and also the demand for reefer containers, um, as in, will there be enough um, of the equipment once, once the vaccines start rolling through the maritime system? Thanks, Rachel. <clears throat> so in terms of uh, type of containers, um, I think this comes uh, because Pfizer's vaccine is minus uh, 80 degrees Celsius. And uh, also always the question came up, uh, can containers go to minus 80 degrees? There are certain containers in the market that can go seven, uh, minus 70 degrees, but they're not necessary yet used to transport the vaccine. Uh, would it be possible? I think the risk would be a little bit high if we consider moving Pfizer's vaccine at minus 70 degrees Celsius on ocean. Uh, but when we start talking about vaccines moving at minus 20 degrees Celsius, two to eight degrees, this is perfectly fine and it would work. It's already happening today. We are moving uh, two to eight degrees. We're moving frozen pharmaceutical products. Um, so the containers as they are today, uh, they're perfectly fine to transport uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. In terms of container availability, is there ample supply of containers sitting around ready to be picked up? No, and that's not a business model that is ever gonna be sustainable. Uh, the reefer containers, they're expensive. You need a lot of them to be able to move all the cargo in the world. If we take, a, if we consider how much of the temperature control volumes um, moved by sea or pharmaceuticals, it's about one to 2% of all the products moved at sea is pharmaceuticals. Everything else is anything between, I mean, all the other temperature control products. What is key? Forecasting. Uh, and partnership and collaboration. Uh, the same way a pharmaceutical company wants to be able to have their product on, at the pharmacy or in the hospital when it's needed, the same way we can prepare our containers to be needed when our customers need them. But this has to be done in a uh, controlled manner. It has to be forecasted. And of course, if you uh, come tomorrow and ask for a hundred containers, everybody will be looking at each other and there's nothing to do, right? Because we have committed to customers uh, and at the end of the day, we are a customer-driven company. We have to fulfill our commitments. It's, a, it's very hard if a pharmaceutical company asks for 50 containers tomorrow, would we find a way and would we try to solve it? Yes, 
but this would might have to come at the expense of somebody else. That's why it's important to forecast, forecast, forecast. Yeah, I'm, re I'm really getting that. And for reefer containers, you know, cool logistics for quite a few years now, we've been more generally discussing, focused on food, that there's a shortage, you know, equipment availability has been tight and, uh, and, and new buildings have been um, suppressed uh, for a number of years. Although I know there's quite a lot of new building activity in the order books, very healthy at the moment. Um, but Sebastian, you know, as, as a DHL looking at uh, multiple modes, what's your view looking in on this uh, reefer equipment availability? And as another one of our delegates, Alan Kennedy, um, asked the whole issue of equipment availability, um, repositioning um, and um, ability to uh, be able to allocate reefer units to vaccines. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, like everybody else, um, our operations these days is, is very busy um, because of the situation and, and the, the, the lack of equipment, or let's say the equipment is not in the right places, right? Uh, they are either stuck on a vessel or, or they, are, they are idling empty at, at, um, at locations where, where we or for our business, we, we don't need them necessarily. Um, but uh, at the same time, we, we should also not forget that, I mean, for, for the start, as, as Michael said, that, I mean, trials and so on, we don't speak about hundreds of containers. I mean, we recently did a study with, uh, with a customer of ours um, to ship vaccines in a container, and we are talking about 5 million doses in one 40-foot reefer high cube. So with 10 containers, we can deliver 50 million doses of vaccine. And uh, as Risto also mentioned and myself earlier, with a proper implementation and forecasting and not coming um, this week for a shipment uh, in, in the next week, um, I see that this definitely working, right? I mean, 10 containers is, uh, I mean, for, for at least for those shipping lines who are capable to, to handling um, life, life science and healthcare products, it's not impossible to do, right? If we talk about larger scales, once this vaccine uh, is mostly in the two to eight degree area, if vaccination ratios are at a level that we, we, we really can, can switch in big time to ocean, yeah, maybe um, we, we have to, to um, tackle that issue once more. But for the time being, I don't see the, the refer availability too much of an issue um, when it comes to COVID-19 vaccines distribution. Do you uh, have uh, any points you'd like to add on this, Michael? No, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about, the, um, again, it's very provocative, but I'm just thinking about what Sebastian said, you know, um, five million vaccines in one container, what would that cost in air freight, um, you know, for, for a developing country and what would it cost in the sea freight? And that's really the question, you know, this is the discussion point here. Um, you know, it, it, I think it really does come down to cost. Um, so I think Sebastian is a good point. Um, you know, you don't have to have thousands of sea containers doing this. It's 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 really manageable. Um, so yeah, good point. Thank you. Well, uh, there's a couple of related questions in from the comments, and thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, and um, commenting from Marlos Seasing, which is actually going to be addressed uh, directly in the next panel as well. Um, but it'd be great to get your views on it. Uh, he's asked um, related to the question uh, earlier question. How are we going to deal with the liability of such high value shipments um, and maximum value criteria some of the ocean carriers are imposing? I think that might be one for you again, Tristo. 
Yeah, liability. Uh, I think what's important for liability is to identify who are the parties involved and to have a very good legal discussion to uh, facilitate uh, uh, who has insured the product, who has responsibility, and who takes the weight of moving the product, right? Uh, this is something that usually, I mean, in, in many cases it works out, but you need all the parties on the table and having an open discussion. Uh, usually the complexities that I have experienced is when um, when there is multiple parties involved and they don't speak to each other and there is always you know the telephone game like you pass messages it's not the right message and you carry on and you never reach um, uh, yeah a final conclusion so liability can it be solved out yes definitely and if I may, I'd like to ask Siddhar to come in here. And in your opening remarks, you mentioned uh, use of data and visibility for issues such as uh, what might be an SLA for, say, uh, time off ship to getting plugged in um, at port. Um, so how, what's the port and terminal operator view on this around liability and uh, chain of custody? Again, I, I think I'd have to agree with uh, Risto's comment. I think it really depends on contractual obligations and, you know, depending on who's got custody of that box or that uh, product, which part of the chain and what those obligations really tend to be vis-a-vis -vis the contract that was signed. Uh, and that would really involve, in this case, multiple parties coming onto the table to ensure that there is all-round agreement and everybody is aligned vis-a-vis -vis the requirements of uh, the vaccine. Um, vis-a-vis, uh, you know, how we deal with this at the terminal, for instance, again, um, is, is I think we've heard said earlier there are applications today that you know capture those timestamps that capture the uh, you know can give you uh, a good view as to the the, the status of the shipment, uh, be it vaccines in this case, uh, that that are able to measure the uh, temperature fluctuations along the way, and uh, also if there is any tampering or if there is any impact to the box uh, or the integrity of the box of that ship or, or that uh, particular shipment. So I think uh, the ability to then use this data uh, effectively and then use that in, uh, I guess, discussions or negotiations, uh, especially when it comes to liability and who owns uh, that liability eventually, I think will be very important, uh, um, when it, especially when it comes to high value items such as uh, you know, maybe the COVID vaccine, for instance. Have a related issue in before I ask uh, Sebastian and, and Michael uh, from um, Steve Cameron. Um, Hello, Steve. Nice to see you here. Um, he's asking, given the small volumes of reefers needed for vaccines, does the importance of reliability warrant stronger contractual terms with balanced financial penalties for non-performance? Uh, so, Sebastian, if you could give us a view from DHL as you know, a multi-mode forwarder um, working, uh, stitching a lot of things together on the, the general question and uh, the issue of um, yeah, performance. Um, performance standards contractually um, obligated? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, first of all, I think uh, the limitations in regards to uh, cargo value within uh, one reefer containers, um, I think there are solutions out there we are making use of. Um, I mean, Christo mentioned as well, if all parties are involved, we find solutions and the limitations are by far higher than they have been a couple of years ago, which is enabling us um, to, to ship vaccines today, to, to ship insulin, to ship uh, biological uh, substances, uh, which are all very sensitive and which are also very high of values. Um, but cargo values of 10 or 20 million uh, per container, that, that's not any, any longer a show.
stopper nowadays. Um, you know, I mean, people and and um, I mean, uh, forwarders or shipping lines being involved in in pharmaceutical shipments um, for for long. Uh, they are not afraid of touching such goods being of 10 or 15 millions of, of cargo value anymore. So there are solutions out there to tackle that, even for higher ones. I mean, um, out of experience, we are shipping um, for, for uh, some customers of us uh, cargo values, which are close to a three-digit million in that container. But we find a solution, you know, if you collaborate, you will not ship that for a, for a rate similar to a frozen meat rate. That's for sure as well. There might need to be specific uh, security measures around that with a, I don't know, a convoy or an, an, an police, um, you know, um, partnering with on, on the pre-carriage and on carriage, or these kind of things. Um, but but it's possible, and and we we have that also at the moment in uh, in our solutions for for some of our um, customers' cargo. So uh, that's to the first point, and uh, the second one in regards to. Um, Performance, um, yes, of course, that's um, that's a very important um, part, and um, I can say that we are very busy having uh, reviews with our pharmaceutical customers in regards to to certain KPI performances, be it uh, schedule reliability and 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 these kind of factors, but at the same time, also. Uh, what we did in the last year is also to, to support our customers um, in, in the journey from air to ocean to understand the ocean industry a little bit better that there might be delays uh, happening which they are not used to in the air freight environment. I mean, like, like Michael also said earlier, um, he, he was predominantly involved in air freight in all of his career. And so are a lot of our customers, people working in quality departments or supply chain. So that's also a kind of a um, yeah a process to 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 make people aware. We are constantly doing doing workshops with them when it was still allowed visiting terminals. Show them what it is like if a container vessel of twenty thousand containers arrives and their container is one out of I don't know a couple of thousands be, being discharged at the terminal. So it might not be the first one, um, uh, but it might be somewhere in between. So um, yeah, that would be my five cents to that. Well, thank you very much. And just before we move on, um, my team's advised me, we have a poll going on at the moment, the audience, and we'd love it if you'd take part. Um, you'll find it uh, next to your chat and Q&A screen. It's uh, a poll uh, just asking generally, and I'm thinking I know the answer from my side, will supply chains become more efficient as a result of the pandemic? What's your view? So please head on over and uh, vote, and we will uh, present the results uh, shortly. So um, if I might, I want to turn to, uh, to, to Michael just for comments on this, but a couple of the issues raised that uh, uh, Michael, we, we talked about previously and um, that were mentioned here around performance. One of them is around the issue of um, cargo chain integrity, particularly around theft. I know counterfeiting is also an issue, but is this something that, you know, what, what position is World Economic Forum taking, taking around this? Um, I mean, counterfeit drugs um, and counterfeit pharmaceuticals is nothing new. We've been fighting them for, 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 for decades. Um, and, and the bad guys out there have seen this as an opportunity, as, as, as you know, unfortunately. And there's already counterfeit COVID vaccines on the market. There's counterfeit COVID tests, um, uh, results, there and, and so forth. So what, um, what this requires is a seamless integrated supply chain from factory to vein 
um, including blockchain using digitalized serialized numbers on, on the vaccines, the, 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 this sort of labeling um, where, you know, actual, actual every single vial um, is, is a one-time use and, and it's very difficult to, to replicate. Um, the logistics companies, of course, have to be part of that chain to make sure that technology plays a part where they know where those vaccines are at all the time and they haven't been compromised. Um, storage facilities, um, it's really all the way down, um, last mile and everything else. So it's a massive, it's a massive issue um, because you know selling fake handbags and watches is one thing, but once you start injecting fake vaccines, you're talking about um, patient security, and that and that's a that's a real issue. So uh, Interpol, the World Economic, sorry, the World uh, Health Organization, are working very closely with many of the logistics companies, um, customs, um, border controls, to try to stamp this out. But it, it, it's a it's a serious battle, and we could all play a part in it. Um, I believe. Um, technology will, will be the leader in this. Um, there's a number of pharmaceutical companies um, and pharmaceutical distribution specialists who've already created an app um, where when you, before you, you get your vaccine, you actually scan the, the, the QR code on your vial and you will be able to see the entire history of that vial, where it's been for the last two months, um, has it been compromised? Um, and even to the point in the future where you can start ordering personalized vaccines because we're all wired differently, DNA and everything else. So that, that, will, that will also speed up. So again, the logistics industry has to be able to speak this language. We've been talking about blockchain for, for many years. Uh, I think it's finally coming together. I think it, it has a push through the COVID pandemic. We, we see the needs for it, um, but it's absolutely necessary to, to stamp out counterfeits. Thank you very much. I mean, there's no doubt the role of data is crucial. And um, I'm keeping an eye on the clock here. As, uh, we've we've uh, got about 15 minutes or less than left. But uh, uh, picking back up on Siddharth's point earlier about uh, data management and regulatory compliance, this is like not just any data, you know, it's, it's very crucial data. And I think panel two, we're going to pick up in a bit more detail around a lot of these issues. Uh, so thank you very much for, for, for the discussion. Um, so, um, yeah, looking at the last few minutes that we have of this session, uh, again, reminder everyone, um, do take time to uh, vote in the poll. And also as a reminder to everyone, um, after our next panel session, we have a couple of keynote presentations from Fristo and Sebastian that are going to go into some more detail on some of the issues we've raised here. So uh, please, do, uh, please do log in for those. Um, I want to go back, Michael, um, one of the questions you posed when we were uh, prepping for this session. Um, what support from your point of view, you know, aside from logistics, can containerized sea freight and ports play to support the global supply chain efforts? And I'm thinking specifically, as you mentioned, particularly around the lower to middle income countries, as you mentioned, uh, parts of Asia uh, and Africa, uh, which will be huge importers of, of vaccines. Yeah. Thank, thanks. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Rachel. I, you know, the, there's been a lot of focus on the vaccines, um, which of course is very important. But for every one pallet of vaccines, I think it's eight or 10 pallets of incendiaries that, that support this, which, which of course is, is crucial. But you know, aside from the actual vaccination program, um, there's, there's the actual infrastructure. So many places don't have infrastructure to carry out mass vaccinations. There's a lot of companies now converting sea containers into mobile laboratories um, where they're clean rooms. You can actually put them on ships. The, 
mobile um, labs where you can you know take them to one location you can have a your sea containers of your of your incendiaries your vaccines you have a mobile laboratory and also another important point is waste disposal medical waste needs to be disposed properly under world health organization regulations which is generally incinerated now not a lot of countries have these incineration plants um, and so you know what we don't want is needles and ppe washing up on our beaches again there's a mobile solution fits in containers so you can see where i'm going with this if you're going to a country you have a series of containers which contains the laboratory, the 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 actual vaccines and, and incineraries themselves, and the uh, the incinerator. So you you actually have a almost like a mobile vaccine village. Um, you can go into a country, do the vaccination program, and then move it on. Um, it gives a modular possibility to these countries who can't afford infrastructure. Um, this is, I think, something that you know UN UNICEF will, will probably be looking into with the support of the logistics industry to make this happen. Thank you, Michael. I think those are really important uh, points and contributions that container industry generally can make to, to the global uh, vaccine effort. So uh, just as I, um, I can see a new question coming in. Hang on a second. Ah, question from Achiel Yaman, and it actually is gonna be the primary focus for our panel session three this afternoon. Um, but it would be remiss of me not to pose it um, to the panel here. Um, he says, thanks for the highly interesting event. Uh, did the seafarers blocked on board ships offshore delay the arrival of container ships carrying reefers in ports? And how did shipping lines manage this situation? So I think that's speaking to um, seafarers who, who we know uh, in large numbers um, ha haven't been able to get a crew change. And whether that's actually had uh, an impact on um, um, on uh, the reefer supply chain and the re reefer sea freight. Um, Risto, can you give us a few words on that? Thank you, Rachel. Uh, so seafarers, uh, they're extremely important uh, for uh, global maritime transport. And uh, very often, you know, they're um, you know, we forget about the importance of seafarers and, and the difference they make for us moving, operating the ships, moving the containers. Um, over the last year, there has been a big problem with the exchange of seafarers. A lot of a uh, lot of seafarers have, have had to be on the ships for extended periods of time, uh, which is not ideal. There has been a lot of uh, efforts from our side, from the industry, uh, in order to be able to have uh, these people working on the vessels go home and change the crews. So. Uh, it's very important to appreciate their work, uh, and they have done a great job um, to enable the ships to keep moving and to be able to deliver all the containers where they're supposed to be. And a related question coming in from uh, Nick, although I would say directly to Achil, my experience, it's not the seafarers being blocked on board ships that's stopped cargo being delivered because the cargo has kept getting delivered. The concern we have, we'll talk about in the sessions this afternoon, is how do we make sure that that crew change can happen and what's required? Um, but that is the focus for this afternoon. So Nick, thank you very much. A question for Siddharth, uh, and I was going to pose this one, so thank you, Nick. Uh, how has PSA itself dealt with generally frontline workers at terminals um, and uh, crew change, you know, in terms of keeping them healthy? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's, it's been a core focus for us uh, 
through last year and continues to be. So what we've tried to do, at least at our terminals, pretty much all across the world, is uh, to first create adequate infrastructure. So where needed, for instance, in Singapore, we've uh, we've uh, we maintained dormitories where we've we've had workers stay on, and you know we provided uh, accommodation, lodging, etc., to make sure that uh, they're safe. And at the same time, we've had a steady supply at the terminal so as to keep the supply chain moving. Uh, we've been lobbying the governments across various countries, uh, especially so in Singapore as well, to try and uh, prioritize port workers for vaccinations, you know, see them as essential workers. And, you know, we've had fair success, I'd say, as we look across the world. Uh, and we continue to sort of uh, try and get as many of our uh, frontline workers vaccinated as possible. So that's an ongoing effort. Uh, with some degree of success. Um, at the same time, uh, we have a global program or we've got a global task force that actually manages our COVID-related uh, uh, efforts across the globe, also the impact on our uh, network uh, on a week-to-week -week or other day-to-day -day basis, where we're keeping close tabs uh, to ensure that there's adequate uh, uh, protective equipment available at all our terminals. Uh, we're managing uh, rostering to make sure that uh, you know we, we manage people as they come in and as they go out so as to not uh, uh, have them overly exposed. At the same time, we've also reached out not just to our direct uh, employees or workers, but also to our second and third tier uh, suppliers to ensure that they are also in compliance, they're getting adequate attention, they've got enough uh, protective equipment available. And at least while this on our terminal, uh, you know, they, they are uh, not being exposed in any manner. And at the same time being, uh, we, we've, we've got education programs that are ongoing at various locations from Latin America all the way to Southeast Asia to ensure people are aware of the risks, uh, are taking necessary precautions to the, to the extent that we can enforce them. And at the same time, uh, where we do find a case or we find uh, an exposure, we try and act as quickly as possible to provide the necessary medical or other attention as might be needed. So it's it's been a comprehensive effort looking at uh, you know getting people educated, providing them the infrastructure to keep them safe, as also the equipment uh, needed to you know help keep them safe, while reacting as quickly as we can if we do find any exposures or anomalies anywhere across the world. Uh, thank you very much. And as I said, uh, panel session three, tune in later. Uh, we focus specifically on these in more depth in these issues. Um, but, but Sebastian, DHL Global um, forwarding, um, you know, all about the frontline workers. What's DHL's position been here? Uh, well, I mean, as soon as the, the pandemic hit us, um, um, most of our stuff was working from home. Um, the DHL in general, we prepared our our people with, with uh, laptops and, and the infrastructure already a couple of years before. So that was actually going quite smooth, I have to say. Um, so so no, no real hiccups there. Um, of course, we also do have a lot of uh, workers who cannot work from home in in the warehouse our drivers and, and these people um so um yeah for for them it, it has been arranged um a safe environment as much as we can right i mean be it tests be it uh yeah personal protection equipment and and the likes so um so far i mean i don't have have um, the exact numbers and of course uh, we couldn't avoid it um uh, completely um, that, that some of our people were affected. But um, as far as I know, nobody has been infected at work. Um, it, it was rather rather in the, in the free time. 
Um, so, so that's good at least. Um, but yeah, of course, it, it, it was a challenge and it still is. Um, but uh, we, we found ways around it. Uh, so same like me today, I'm in the office. Um, I can come here um, with, a, with a negative tests. Uh, which is uh, which cannot be older than um, two or three days. Um, so so things like this we implemented globally actually to to overcome that. And uh, to the to the original question, just a short comment. Um, as far as I know, um, there there have been no cargo delays because of uh, this crew change. I know that it has been a, a headache for for the shipping lines. Um, and it still is, uh, but as far as I know, um, the, our cargo has not been delayed because of a crew could not could not be exchanged. No. Well, I think uh, generally, you know, vaccinating uh, frontline workers, um, but specifically when it comes to seafarers, where there's some really quite complex jurisdictional issues which have um, created the crew change crisis in the first place, but also now uh, impacting the vaccination program. Um, another area of needing to have multi-government and uh, multi-stakeholder um, uh, activity. Um, so, Michael, that, that's kind of what I'd like to ask you from the sort of a WF, you know, sort of NGO um, point of view um, on uh, seafarers and, and generally key workers in uh, logistics uh, getting some prioritisation. I mean, it's it's a very good point, Rachel. But you know, it, it's um, and we see good examples. We see we see companies, um, especially in the Philippines. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, response from the private sector who've marched ahead of 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 uh, waiting for the government and actually, you know, started to vaccinate their entire staffing. Um, you know, there's all sorts of um, additional NGOs out there supporting seafarers. Um, it's not just about the vaccinations. Most of, a lot of these people haven't been home for, for over a year now. Um, they, they're really stuck because they're, they're basically marooned between countries. Um, and so there's, there's all sorts of charities out there trying to get the, these people home. There are um, a number of governments um, who are also actively uh, looking to, to support these, these NGOs as well. So we're still not there yet, but I think... Um, um, Certainly, the seafarers, as you know, as my, my colleague said, they often get forgotten, um, but uh, they're incredibly vital. I think you know we, we're we're very quick to vaccinate, of course, the healthcare workers, which is incredibly important, but also the airport staff. And and I think seafarers have, have lost a little bit of the priority. So yeah, that needs to increase. So we'll be uh, coming up on a witching hour, so to speak, and uh, again, we'll be coming back to that this afternoon. And thank you all for your comments on that. Um, so just as I'm going to wrap up, we had a number of other talking points that unfortunately we haven't um, had chance to get round to, um, but hopefully uh, that's due to the fact that we've had a really lively and engaged audience since the get-go this morning. So thank you uh, very much uh, for that. Um, I am just checking because I've got a good old feed of questions and comments here. Um, my colleagues tell me the results of our poll will supply chains become more efficient as a result of the pandemic? Uh, yes, from 70.6% of the respondents and no from 29.4. So that's a fairly sizable uh, majority feeling that uh, there's going to be more supply chain efficiency um, as a result of everything we've all been going through for the, for the last year. So just got a couple of minutes and I apologize to uh, those in the audience. I haven't been able to get round to your questions in, uh, in the time. Um, and 
closing remarks briefly from all the panel. My thanks to you all for starting us off in true fashion and uh, leaving a, a, a lot of talking for the rest of the day. Um, but if you'd like to uh, start with Siddharth, just a, a final word, word as we wrap up. Yep. Thanks, Rachel, first off, uh, for having me on and also to my fellow panelists. Uh, it's been a good debate. I, I think I, I just like to end by saying, and I guess in line with that poll of yours, I think this is an opportunity to really look beyond and see how we can perhaps bring a different approach to supply chain and logistics. I mean, we've talked a lot about container availability and so on, but there are alternate approaches that probably you know, back to be reviewed, uh, given what's what's going on in the world today. I mean, for instance, you could actually uh, look to once the vaccine supply comes on stream and is, you know, is stable, perhaps reposition these vaccines closer to vaccination, uh, vaccination zones or markets where they need to be. And to that extent, um, you know, a terminal can be more than just a place where a box passes through, where also for other commodities, uh, you know, providing uh, forward uh, staging capabilities at our terminals across the globe, which then brings the product closer to market and then, you know, can help in a last mile fulfillment effort. So to that extent, I, I think perhaps an opportunity here to relook networks, uh, you know, perhaps in the reefer space in this case, but a broader opportunity to really think about how we do logistics and maybe move beyond the traditional methods to something new, which might be more productive and efficient in the longer term. Thank so again, you. Thanks, thanks and Thank you to all the panelists. We are now on our witching hour. Um, so if the team, I'd like to have chance to just the last word from um, the other panel members, um, unless my team tells me in the feed here. Aha, no, I do apologize, gentlemen. I'm being told that uh, I do need to close up the session. I hope you'll be staying with us for uh, the rest. Um, and we do have another Q&A coming up with Sebastian and uh, Christo later in the day. Uh, thank you to all, and we are now going to take a, a networking break, so for those of you who have our networking uh, plus, do come along and join us in the networking lounge, or take a bit of time to uh, connect with uh, attendees here. Thank you again, and uh, enjoy the networking break. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you Thanks, so everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.